Welcome to the Assembly of Silence Radio Hour. And here we are. Welcome back. It's going to be another Assembly of Silence first. I was asked by one of the guests on this podcast to join him on his podcast. Colin Lee has a podcast called Modern Day Wizards. You'll remember Colin from a number of episodes, including one of the more popular episodes, the one about what's up with Ken Wheeler. And so, yeah, he has this podcast of his own, Modern Day Wizards. I encourage you to go check it out. There will be links in the show note description. Uh, And also, you know, if you want to watch the video version of this, you can do so on his YouTube channel. So there'll be a link to that as well. And while I don't consider myself a wizard, Colin has a very interesting definition for the term. He says that a wizard is someone who seeks understanding and shares whatever they find. That's not how he says it, but that's basically the idea. And I think that's a neat idea. I don't know if it really fits the wizard term, but I guess I'd have to say that it seems like that's what I'm doing. I try to understand things, and I do believe that it's worth sharing our understanding with each other. So so there you go. The word wizard, I had a sort of friend-teacher at one point or another, this very interesting wordplay man named uh, Lawrence Lyons. He goes by Bala now, and you can look up his book, which is a brilliant work of absolute insanity. It's called The Language Crystal. And apparently it's selling for eBay on like for 600 bucks or something like that, a copy, which is just mind-blowing. And it is a kind of mind-blowing book, so good for him. At any rate, he had said at some point that a wizard is someone who's just a little bit wise. Because the ard at the end of the word is a diminution, which means that it's sort of lessening the wise. So a little bit wise, not a lot wise. And I guess, you know, if we're we're interested in wisdom, it seems wise to realize that we're never going to have a lot of wisdom because we're humble creatures. I'm sure there's some people who disagree with that, and of course there are people who are extremely wise when compared to other people. But in the Taoist texts, it's made pretty clear that even the sage can't prevent misfortune from occurring and doesn't necessarily have a way of bringing about good fortune. They say that the best that one can hope for is to not bring on misfortune through your own action or inaction and to not repel fortune through your own action or inaction. So it's a subtle thing. But I guess, you know, under those terms, wizard is a pretty good word. And it has nothing to do with what we normally think a wizard is, which is also really fascinating to consider that what we think of at least what I think of when I hear the word wizard, has nothing to do with any of this. A wizard is a guy in a hat, a tall conical hat, with a beard and a staff, who, like, does spells and incantations and 
blah, 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 right? It's kind of similar, really, when it comes down to it, to what happened to the word God. Like, people have this idea that God is some guy up in the clouds with a beard who can throw natural forces around and is this kind of fantastical being. It's like, in a way, the language has a big ard on the end of it. All of our terms have gotten diminished. And the real richness of what the language means has been lost to us because we have these kind of cardboard cutout pictures. So what I'm saying here is I actually agree with Colin. I have difficulty identifying with the term wizard, but when I really look into what the meaning of the word is, it's a perfectly awesome word. So I'm 100% on board with, with modern-day wizards. Now, uh, we started the discussion with a discussion about our activities. We were just kind of talking about stuff, and Colin edited it out in his version. I thought there was a couple of things in there that were sort of interesting, so I left some of that in. So you're getting a little bit of, like, behind-the-curtain type of stuff at the beginning, and then you'll hear it when we kick into the actual conversation. And the conversation is actually relatively contentious, I guess you could say, and intense. And it seems to me that Colin really was trying to, like, force me to either admit that I was wrong or that I'm taking an indefensible position. And I don't, you know, in, in general, I have to say that listening to these podcasts, I'm never able to really express myself as well as I would like to. I'm always listening back and thinking, man, why did I say it that way? Or why didn't I say this? And it's just, I'm just not the great, most articulate person when it comes down to it. I mean, I know what I want to say, but I just don't always go about saying it the right way. I should probably work on it and formulate the things and have everything kind of a preset way of making sure that whenever I'm addressing a certain issue, I'm going to approach it from this way with this language. And I don't know. I don't have the kind of mind to do that. Nevertheless, I will stick to my guns if I think that I'm correct, even if I'm unable to say it in the best way possible. And it seems to me like the, the point of contention here really has to do with a disagreement about whether or not we can bring about what we want to happen just because we think it's the right thing, which is a profound question, you know, and a lot of people think, well, you can make it real by just believing in it. And other people think, well, no, that, that's fantasy. You have to deal with what's actually going on. I think that there's kind of a balance between the two things. But I, I, I don't think that you can fantasize on the basis of just whatever you want. I think you have to take into account the actual things that are going on and to understand to the best of your ability what it is that's going on. So, you know, that kind of gets back to the whole wizard thing, trying to understand what's going on so that we can imagine the best possible way of going forward. And I think that that's something that Colin and I completely agree about. It's just maybe we have a slightly different analysis of what's going on and a different sense of what's possible on the basis of our own personal will. But anyway, we'll see whether or not Colin agrees with that statement. Perhaps in a future episode, we'll discuss that in greater detail. 
I'm sorry for the very long introduction, but it seemed like most of this stuff was worth saying, and I hope you enjoy this episode. If you want to support these efforts, I keep forgetting to say, hey, in iTunes, click the stars, leave a uh, review and all that kind of stuff. That's really helpful. If you can't afford to do the Patreon thing or sign up with Substack then at, at taijireality.substack.com or patreon.com slash taijireality, then it would be awesome if you would hit the stars, write the freaking review, or in YouTube, whatever the equivalent is. Okay, thank you very much. Enjoy the show. What are you selling, man? What's my ultimate goal? <laughs> yeah, are you trying to get people to do podcasts or, or to, to Taiji reality and all that type of stuff? Yeah, I guess, you know, I, I have kind of an incoherent uh, web presence. <laughs> and I think I'm sticking with that. Okay. Um, so yeah, okay. I've got I've got the Taiji reality page, which is I think, you know, relatively uh, niche, you know, assembly mm-hmm. silence is maybe a little broader in terms of the scope. And then I also have this music thing and i don't know there's something else i can't remember right now but yeah i'm very diffuse when it comes to web presence i need i need management and uh i don't see that forthcoming well, i so. am a producer well let's talk about it <laughs> sure i mean yeah. that's what that's basically actually that's that's kind of the epiphany i'm coming to is that i've been like trying to sell myself as like a coach and i'm huh. like but that's not all that i am i mean i was a digital producer for 10 like five something like that that's several several years in like a big company i just feel like they're kind of they almost go really well together it's just like helping people talk through <clears throat> like i'm working with this other woman who's getting her started on a podcast and a lot of it's technical but a lot of it's also like you don't like being on camera let me help you get over that and so that's something that she's having a huge amount of trouble with um similar similar to you although it seems like you're not having trouble with it anymore no i i don't really i you know, I like it with the shades and and the freaking you know Taiji bandana. I'm happy, but uh, you know, production wise, like you know, I would say, okay, well, as a producer, what would you do? You know, my my weak spot, I think, is is really on the integration side of things. Like, how do these things work together? Am I on the right platforms? Am I doing what I should be doing on the platforms? Can I get someone else to do some of the mm-hmm. shit that I'm just not fucking gonna do on those platforms? Cause that's kind of part of it too. Is mm-hmm. like, I'm only gonna, I'm really not going to push much. I have content that I will produce and I'll put it up there. And it's like, that's about as much as I can manage on a time schedule type of deal, you know? So I guess the question would be like, okay, well, is there any incentive for anyone to want to, you know, like right now I'm sort of scraping on a, on a, you know, breaking even kind of mode when it comes to, what actually comes in for the efforts, you know, number of people on Patreon and I got a one person on Substack, you know, but it's really like, I don't know. All I know is that there's interesting things to discuss. There are a bunch of ideas that I think are worth sharing and there are conversations to have and, and there's some music to make. Sounds good. All right. I'm just going to go <laughs> the episode and we're just going to wing this, man. All right, let's wing it. <laughs> okay. That's what we do. Okay. Uh, oh, I'm already recording. Okay. Uh, I'm going to pause for a second, and then I'm going to start, and then then we'll just be going.
Welcome to another episode of Modern Day Wizards. I'm Callan Lee, and today I'm speaking with Noah Whit Whitoff. So is that how you say your name, Whitoff? Is yep, that right? that's it. Okay. So uh, you, I learned about you through the podcast Assembly of Silence Radio Hour, which is basically a uh, I guess a philosophy show um, where people have conversations. Sometimes it's you talking about various things. I'd say it probably goes beyond what people would normally think as philosophy. How would you, how would you characterize what the podcast is? I mean, I, I can I say it's like a free willing uh, philosophical spirituality type of show uh, where, you know, we okay. basically allow the conversation to go where it naturally wants to go. And typically the people who are talking have those interests as either primary or secondary. Mm -hmm. Cool. Well, I've been on your show a couple of times and that definitely felt like a good way to do things. And while I generally come to this podcast with a plan, uh, we decided not to. <laughs> well, that's in line with the assembly um, silence attitude. Exactly. Exactly. So uh, my, so before I, before I, uh, before we started having this call, I re-listened to your episode that you did, the solo episode recently, the rainy night episode. You know what I'm talking about? Oh yeah. And, and that's that just seems like such a, a perfect conversation, a thing to go into right now, not just because, you know, it'd be interesting for other people, but because I don't, you know, you make some really good points in that, and it's I don't really know what to think myself. You know, I'm someone who takes this natural law perspective and yet you're kind of making a case for evil is necessary and natural. And then it's like, I don't know, there's that confusion there. So um, <laughs> do, you, do you think you could sum up that podcast episode in like two minutes? <laughs> so people who haven't heard it kind of know what that was about? Oh, probably not. Yeah, I don't really remember what I said. I remember the feeling Okay, you were talking about the current state of the world, the current state of the world, and how it seems like we're basically being presented with a choice. And this choice is, you know, get universal basic income, but you have to give up freedoms. And, and your case is basically, look, this is a natural thing that happens in nature, uh, bacteria or whatever, they got uh, enough of them and the, the they were affecting the environment in a way that they had to turn recursive on themselves and they grouped up and formed uh, organisms like us. I mean, we're basically made up of that. Mm -hmm. And so you're basically making a case, this is a natural thing that happens and maybe we should compromise with this, whatever it is, this thing that wants to control humanity and you know, take what it's offering and give up as little as we can but we're going to have to give up some things. And I have, does that seem like a good synopsis of, of the episode? Well, I, I'd say right? that, you know, when we're talking about we, that there's a number of different layers to that. And so we are all human beings, uh, but we all have different relationships with the uh, types of control structures, you know, the basically uh, nation states, corporations, the various things that are essentially controlling human activity. 
Uh, and so to the degree to which we're integrated into those things is the degree to which we're going to be uh, captured, I guess you could say. But I think that on, on a very general level, we have to admit that over the course of history, there's been ever greater emphasis placed on uh, capturing the, the population at large uh, to avoid all kinds of chaos that happens when the population isn't captured. Is that why? It Oh, yeah. Is that why you think it's the power is trying to prevent? Yeah, I think, you know, if you look at the social revolutions that, you know, let's say started maybe with uh, the French Revolution, um, it was very idealistic. The, the kind of the overall pattern within revolutions is there's a lot of idealism. We're going to overthrow these bastards who have been keeping us down. And, you know, quite often they are bastards who are keeping people down and making life pretty miserable. And they they aggregate power and they make things uh, really bad uh, for reasons that are suspect, right? So quite often greed gets involved. That's the perspective of the people who are carrying out the revolution, but it's not really the perspective of the people who are making that revolution come to pass, you know, behind the scenes. That's often true. Yeah, absolutely. So there are all kinds of players get involved once that ball starts rolling. And uh, and it gets ugly. You know, if you take a look at the, the reign of terror and then uh, Napoleonic Wars and you take a look at what happened in the Soviet Union, you know, pretty much uh, Stalin and the, the purges and the gulag. And you take a look what happened in communist China, you know, many millions of people, tens of millions of people died as a result of these revolutions. And mm -hmm. and so I think that every government has all that in the back of their mind just like every president who gets into office goes oh yeah john kennedy was killed you know like there's this kind of sense of i mean i think in general power is always thinking about well how do i protect my ass so that i don't get you know because you're basically become a target once you're in power so mm -hmm. and unfortunately i mean my sense of it and i think probably one of the points that i made in that uh monologue is that population is the driver here you know we're talking about uh, the characteristics of a network that change according to the number of nodes in the network. And so the more human beings there are on the planet, the more nodes of consciousness there are to manage, the more mouths there are to feed. And this becomes an incredibly complex technical task and a lot of infrastructures in place to try to deal with all these things. And if people get really unruly and start destroying everything, well, it, it turns into chaos for everyone. That's kind of the lesson of the social revolution. So there's the, the revolutionaries, which would be, you know, the young Black Lives Matter or whatever right now, like this is what they are. Yeah. I mean, they have an idea of what they're doing and what their goal is and what the problem is. Right. And... Then there's the people who people say like George Soros, or I would say people we probably don't even know who are ma manufacturing this situation on both sides to try and get something to happen. And their goals, their concerns, I would guess, are not the same as the revolutionaries. Right. Right. So they're not, are they concerned? Is their concern specifically that humanity is ruining the planet? Do you think that that's the hidden powers concern? That's probably part of it. I think that uh, if you take a look at policy, you know, since the Club of Rome, there's been this understanding that we're having uh, a serious impact on the natural world and that that can only go on for so long. There is a kind of uh, end game in, at play. And, you know, 
fossil fuels only last for so long, the fertility of the soil uh, gets depleted over time. There's some real uh, clusterfucks on the way, you know? So anyone with half a brain in a position of power is gonna be thinking about these things and trying to uh, manage for them in one way or another. Now, whether they have the, the uh, concerns of the people at large at heart, I imagine there's a few that do, I, I, it's hard to say, you know, it's very difficult to really uh, tease out motivation when it comes to these things. And in some ways, maybe it's best to kind of look at it like you would look at any species that's populating and causing difficulty within its own environment and not worry too much about the individual players, because uh, on some level, it's all still happening within the natural world. You know, we are basically a, a species that was a bit too successful <laughs> in, in evolutionary terms and have caused a lot of problems for ourselves. And now we're having a real sticky time trying to negotiate it all. So my difficulty with this, I basically agree, and I have no problem with the idea of individuals becoming part of a collective as long as it's voluntary but at the moment it doesn't really seem like it's voluntary because basically it's through lies like we're being told things which are not the case in order to manipulate us into this and we're being asked to do things like inject ourselves with things which which modify our own gene expression which we have no control over which hasn't even been tested which also is having all side effects with lots of different people and if I if we don't go along with that, then, you know, I think it's getting to the point that, you know, you're not gonna be able to buy food or anything like that. So is it know. really, I mean, it may be that you won't be able well, to travel. It may be that there'll be certain, you know, restrictions on, you know, what buildings you can enter and that kind of thing. It's hard to say, we'll, we'll have to see how that plays out. I think that there's enough people on the other side of the spectrum that it's not just gonna like, get implemented wholesale but we'll see it's hard to say so do you do you think that human rights are like a fundamental thing like that god gave us certain human certain rights which like like the right to travel like for example or do you see it as more like well this is something that one side is going to fight for and the other side is not going to care so much and it's all going to even out in the end and balance itself out well, as far as God given is concerned, uh, my sense is that God gives us life and, and then it's our determination what to do with it. And that doesn't mean that we're going to be in situations that allow us to make the kinds of choices that we would necessarily, necessarily want to make. Quite often we get put into circumstances that are incredibly difficult. And if you take a look at the kinds of things that people have been dealing with over the course of history, the difficulty those two extremes that we can barely imagine having grown up in this country at the time that we did. So, you know, that's the natural flow of history, if you ask me, that fundamentally we're all being placed into a circumstance of which we have a very limited degree of control. And sometimes we're faced with choices that are pretty stark. And, and ultimately, you know, yeah, a lot of people are going to make a choice on the basis of self-protection and a feeling of like, well, this is the safest way to go. But of course, it's a choice. You don't have to make that choice, as you are well aware. You've made a number of choices to go a different way, and there are costs to that. And, and you know, 
ultimately you, you just don't get to have your cake and eat it too. There's, there's difficult choices to be made at every step along the way. And the consequences are difficult to uh, predict. So we have a sense well, of what the possibilities like, are. There's consequences for me. Like if I decide not to use a bank or if I decide not to get a vaccine when there's mandates to go into a grocery store or something like that, these are private businesses who can decide what, what to do. And if I'm not going along with their system, then that's my choice and I don't get the benefits, right? But what about right. things like travel? Like you said, travel, I won't be able to travel. Well, who's, who's to say no one owns this planet and I live on this planet and I have the right to travel as much as a deer or a lion or anything. Well, a deer and lion have have both rather, you know, serious restrictions on where they can travel at this point, you know, not only because of But human... it's not enforced by it's not enforced by another being. Well, the lion isn't going to like swim swim across the ocean. You know, there are natural built-in right. boundaries that that cause there to be limitations on what you know, I'm always amazed at like what my dogs can't do you know like they can well, they i'm can not talking about cap property. capability but it's I'm not it's talking about capability. it's not it's capability is part of it because some of it is like uh you know you're not going to go into a den of snakes right so you could have you have the capability to do that but anyone in their right mind unless that's the kind of challenge you're really looking for is going to avoid the den of snakes so that's a natural thing. There, there are natural creatures with a certain, you know, capability to defend themselves and to cause harm. And so you're going to avoid them. And that's basically like what the powerful are. The powerful are uh, uh, people who have the capability to do great harm and they have their lines of demarcation and you cross them and you're risking getting whacked. It's, you know, render unto Caesar in many respects. So we all have, you know, some domain within which we can travel freely. And if it's just your apartment, well, that's better than a jail cell. You know what I mean? Like there are conditions that people have been in that are unspeakably horrible, you know, where their their ability to exercise any degree of freedom has been basically completely robbed from them. So I wouldn't make too many assumptions about where this is heading. You know, it looks like it could be pretty bleak and horrifying. And I'm not saying that it won't be. But I wouldn't assume that that's how it's going to be. You know, I think people quite often start protesting about what things are going to be before it's happened. And that tends to, like, give the people who are poo-pooing the whole thing some ammunition. And then it makes it even easier for it to go to that next level of horror, you know? <laughs> so it really, it, it's a difficult thing to navigate when it comes to a, a public dialogue about these things, because quite often when you make an objection that seems reasonable, when you're speculating about what may occur, uh, other people can use that as fodder against you and as a fodder against that whole perspective to kind of dismiss it as uh, paranoia. And we all know that all the things that were being dismissed as paranoia like 20 years ago have now come to fruition. So you got to wonder the extent to which like promoting the idea that we're in real trouble now because, you know, sort of the Alex Jones approach to things where, yeah, this is, they're all going to come and get us and they're going to round us up and put us into camps and all that kind of shit. It's like, yeah, maybe it's not like that hasn't happened before, but you saying that and you predicting that without it having happened yet isn't necessarily helping the cause, dude. Well, why is that not helping the cause? Isn't it important to be aware of that possibility? 
Well, but because the, you know, these are sophisticated players and they can use arguments that sound crazy as a way of dismissing uh, things just as easily as, as some people might be freaked out by it. You know, think about what Alex Jones has actually functioned as uh, over the course of his career in the last 20 years, right? I mean, he's been someone who has, let's say, opened people's minds to a variety of possibilities that are quite frightening and some of which seem quite plausible. But at the other hand, he's been this radical uh, agent for, um, what's the word, for casting doubt and for uh, a, a, a level of absurdity and kind of, um, I'm searching for the right word and my adult mind is unable to come up with it. He's basically someone who, uh, who discredits a lot of very reasonable arguments just on the basis of association. You know, there are enough clips of him losing his mind and, you know, whether or not that's part of his of his shtick, like whether that's uh, uh -huh. what he's paid to do. You know, quite often he seems to me like someone who is a classic double agent who's really not not necessarily uh, purely the guy who he's putting forth presenting, you know. I don't know, of course, but I think that a lot of his uh, uh, a lot of his broadcasts are counterproductive because they're they're presenting an argument that can so easily be used to tar and feather the people who believe it. So what good is it doing? Well, I still think it's doing a lot of good. I, I see what you mean by having a polarizing effect or, um, you know, creating this group of people in the world who are kind of charged with a certain viewpoint, which is kind of conflict oriented or like, us against them oriented, but I yeah. still see, I mean, that's, that's, a, I think not, well, maybe it is most of the people who listen to Alex Jones. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know a whole so. lot of people in, in real life who talk, who listen to Alex Jones. Maybe, maybe. You know, on a very basic level, like a philosophical level, let's say if we're, if we're seeking to understand, then ideally we don't want to demonize anyone. We want to try to understand the the conditions that lead people to behave the way they do and the way and fundamentally power has an environmental impact just like anything else we all know the the old uh wisdom saying that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely and corrupt you know what exactly does that mean well i mean on some level it means that they're no longer part of the body politic they're standing apart from it to some degree out of necessity because they're at risk every time they enter the body politic and they see themselves as being separate from it and they are that's what power does that you can't really exercise power if you're part of you know we we there were efforts made to try and prevent this like the whole idea of the republic was to avoid uh being under the thumb of another monarchy but power is power it has its its inexorable properties, and and it's very much a, a natural byproduct. You know, sort of like in the body, there are cells that have capabilities that other cells don't have. You know, like for instance, in the pineal gland, that those are cells that stick around for the entire life of the body. All the other cells are replaced every seven years. You know why? Mm. Right. Uh, you have stem cells mm -hmm. that are capable of doing all kinds of 
uh, of different things where most cells are basically restricted in their in their activity. So when you have large aggregations that are specialized and require a lot of uh, interconnectivity and and dedication to task and that kind of thing, yeah, there's going to be differences that are unfair and unpleasant to consider when it comes to a contemplation of what liberty is. But in a certain sense, you could say like people who are in positions of power are imprisoned in ways that we can't even imagine. So it, it's not all that clear cut. You know, the, the, there are times when horrible decisions have to be made and the people who are in the position to make those decisions are radically unfortunate on many different levels. But that's what uh, hubris gets you, you know? <laughs> it's like, there you are. <laughs> I, so I want to understand where, I want to understand where your lines are. So as, as we form this hive mind, which the internet sort of allows us to form, and we're offered things like universal basic income or assured food and stuff like that. What, what do you see as you're willing personally to give, to give up for that? Like, are you willing to give up your right to say yes or no to an injection, which you don't know anything about? Right. It's just some people somewhere decided that everyone should have this and you're one of those people. So you have to get it. Is that is that a, a decision for yourself, which you're willing to give to someone else to make? Uh, well, I think that it, it is our decision at this point. They don't yet have captured to the degree that they can make all the decisions for us. I mean, I don't think the goons are going to come around. But and you would agree that that's and, that's what they want, that there are definitely people who want that that to be the situation that there's just everyone's vaccinated and that's that's the way it is yeah that does seem to be the way uh, a number of uh global elite want to see things happen and people down down the chain as well there are probably a bunch of uh health experts and what have you uh who think that that should be the policy but there's enough disagreement that i don't think that that's going to be a, an effective plan at this stage but but that's not the question. The question is, are you willing to, is that something you'd be willing to give up in this compromise that you're making? Well, no, I, I'm, I'm not going to take the injection for, you know, the situation that I'm in presently, uh, that would not be a choice that I would make. No. Now, I don't know what would have to change in order for me to see that that would be a, a, a deal I'm willing to take. But right now, no, I, I wouldn't take that deal. But everyone's going to have that choice. Okay. What if you couldn't go to the grocery store? I don't know. I'm not in that situation. It's difficult to to predict how I'd respond to that. You know, like for instance, I know some people who've already taken the vaccine, and mm -hmm. I mean, it's not even a vaccine, but that's what they're calling it. So it's kind yeah. of uh, an outrageous thing. But yeah, so. I guess over the course of the next year, we'll get to see some of the side effects. We don't know what the long-term side effects are going to be. Now, uh, am I in favor of this whole approach? No, I think it's a disaster. But um, but there's a lot of things that I'm not in favor of, and that doesn't stop them from being implemented. So I have to deal with them because that's the world that we're living in. 
So if over the course of the next few years, I see that most people don't seem to have any kind of real reaction to it. And there's some reason that I feel like, okay, I really do want to be able to travel. Maybe I'll take the vaccine. I mean, I probably won't unless I really have to, unless there's some kind of uh, urgent need to do so. Um, I think that quite likely there will be uh, side effects, but, you know, like speaking just from a selfish point of view, I'm someone who's uh, in the later part of my life, you know, I, I don't know how much longer I have to live, but I've, I'm in my fifties now. And, and so I've had um, a good long life already. And, and I don't feel like I necessarily need to protect it that much, you know, um, I, I'm not planning on having kids, so if it screws with my DNA, uh, I don't have to worry about that too much. Um, so, you know, for me personally, it's not a huge issue, but I think that for humanity in large, it could be a huge issue. Okay, let's 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 make it less personal. Okay. So, if we're comparing a society which is in one society, they're basically equal, except for the one difference is that in one, everyone gets to decide anything for themselves relating to medical situations, for example, the vaccine. And in the other, it's that the decision is made by the CDC or some you know, appointed group of people who are experts. <clears throat> like, do you see those as, well, you know, who knows? One's going to have some benefits and one's going to have another and we don't really know. Or can you objectively say one society is better than the other? Well, I would be in favor of the society that would allow people to make the choice. Uh, I think that even in the society where people are not allowed to make the choice, the choice is still there. And it's just a question of whether or not people recognize that. Now, again, the consequences might be severe. But the choice is still fundamentally there. They don't have the point where they can flip a switch and get people to just submit to whatever it is they want to do. So I think that that in some ways, what we're advocating for in general is for people to remember that they have a choice and and to be aware that those choices can have serious consequences. But that fundamentally, that is our God given right is to make a choice. So then there's, we always have the choice, no matter what situation we're put in. For So for example, if we're being tortured to give our consent to get vaccinated, you're saying we still have a choice. Yes, we do. But obviously most people will make the choice that will stop the torture. But there are people in history who made the other choice. But the world is, wouldn't you say the world is better in a situation where people aren't being pressured in that way? Well, I don't know what the consequences are if, uh, if authority doesn't pressure its population to do what it wants. I don't really know what a world would be like without that. We can only speculate, but it's definitely not the world we're living in. And as far as I can tell, it's never been the world we've been living in. Power has always asserted its influence. We would have to go way, 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 way back into prehistory where there were little groups, but even within that, I bet you there was a bully. And I bet you he was trying to get shit 
to happen the way he wanted it to be. Well, of course, the two elements are always gonna gonna be there, but when we we know if we go down one side too far, you know, the oppressive side, that that's going to be shitty for a lot of people. And you're saying maybe if we go down the other side too far, where everyone's free, that that'll be shitty for some reason, which we don't understand because we haven't seen it yet. I'm not saying that everyone being free would necessarily be bad. I'm just saying there's no precedent. And that freedom fundamentally, if we're going to go back to kind of a, a natural way of looking at things, there are barriers and limitations that are built into the configuration of material existence and that freedom is, right, is always talking about freedom which is in, which is freedom, freedom which is, is hindered by other beings well yeah but that, we get back to the layer of snakes it's like you can go in there if you want to right but that's a, a form of consciousness that has consequences for interacting with it and it's the same thing within human society and it's always been the same thing in human society. So, you know, yes, there are people who say, okay, screw it. I'm just going to do what I think I need to do. And sometimes they get burned at the stake. It's just the way it is, right? Now, we can imagine a world without that. But I am really hard-pressed to think that that would ever come about. Because everyone would have to abide by rules that they don't have to abide by. But we're pushing, we're always pushing in that direction. I mean, you may come across your, your wife getting raped by someone and you're going to fucking shoot that guy in the head because you're, you're trying to move away from that towards something else. And maybe we can't perfectly get to the per perfect version of that. There's always going to be some element of rascality going on, but it doesn't mean we don't know which direction to move. Well, we have you know, a, an understanding of civil society. And we have, I mean, hopefully we still have an understanding of civil society. I'm not so sure about that anymore. But, you know, I do believe that the classical liberal project was one where people would have uh, common sense in the sense of a common understanding of what kind of rules allow for there to be a decent society where people can uh, exercise their capabilities to, you know, pursue happiness in life, if you like, without uh, unfair hindrance and oppression. And clearly, it has not been uh, evenly applied. There have been all kinds of uh, errors along the way, and certain people have gotten the short end of the stick when it comes to that type of thing. But nevertheless, the ideas were something that were held as being uh, fundamental to our system of social governance. And we're losing that. And I think we're losing that to some extent because of the errors that were made and because of the, the groups that were left out. And, and to some extent, well, that's natural. That's probably how it should go. Uh, but unfortunately, I think that the whole, you know, if things continue in the direction they're heading now, it'll probably be throwing the baby out with the bathwater. It's, uh, it's a dangerous thing to, to, to tinker with that stuff. It seems like you're making the is-ought mistake. You're basically saying nature is a certain way, so that's sort of the way it ought to be, or we shouldn't try and, you know, improve it or in any way. Like, it's, it's almost like you, like, do you believe that... I mean, do you believe in rights? Do, do you believe that I have the right to 
I mean, does it, does the word rights even like register as something that means anything uh, to you? I, I don't think that um, we shouldn't try to make the world a better place. I think that we should always strive for the best possible outcome. But I think we also have to be realistic. I think we have to see what precedent tells us. We have to see what the present configuration is and whether or not there's any likelihood that we're going to be able to bring about the types of things that we're petitioning for. And, um, and as far as rights are concerned, I think that it's a, a fundamental right to choose. That's, that's what I really think is at the core of it all. And so, yeah, we all have the right to choose what we believe to be is the ethical and correct approach. And, and God willing, that catches on. But I think we also have to be very clear-eyed about the world that we're living in and, and the way that the world has been throughout history. I think idealism has a way of taking people over and the consequences of it typically become more terrible because they tend to motivate people. Everyone wants to live in paradise. Everyone wants to live in, in uh, an ideologically pure environment. And look at what's happened as a consequence of that. I mean, the Nazis had a beautiful vision of what was going to happen. It didn't work out. But all of these, all of these things that haven't worked out, they've they've tried to make what they were trying to build through coercion, but through forcing other people to go along with it. Do you think that that's the only way that things can move in that direction? Is that some large group has to force some other people to play their game? Well, do we have any example where it hasn't been that way? I mean, that's, the, that's the problem. You know, even in the early church, you had so much diversity that, you know, basically Paul was spending all of his time arguing with people about how you're supposed to behave in a church. And, you know, the chaos of that whole period is what uh, led to the uh, exclusion of certain types of texts that were considered to be too confusing and dangerous. And you know, the, the, the problem that human beings have always had is how do you organize large numbers of people? And quite often it's like, if, it's a, if everyone has the freedom to think of things the way they want, it just turns into a very confusing mess. And, and you get opportunists who enter the fray. It's like but the freaking Festy situation. You know, it's like, it's all, you just said that it you said that it turns into a mess, but you've also said that we haven't actually seen that situation. So you you were hesitant to make assumptions about what it would look like, but it seems like oh, we've seen the mess. <laughs> we've seen the mess many times. We've never seen a situation where it works. We've never seen a situation where everyone has the autonomy to make whatever kind of decision they want, and you have kind of like a a decentralized peer-to-peer uh, way of everyone finding their own path with their own understanding and it being a coherent social order. Uh, we've never seen that. We've always seen people battling on the, uh, you know, intellectual and social co coercion front to try to get their ideas to be the organizing principles that get set up. And it's messy as well. And there have been a lot of um, wars fought over these types of things, you know, both large scale and kind of symbolic wars, wars of words, if you like. But, you know, maybe this new technology will provide us with the, the capacity to have that kind of uh, individual sovereign type of, uh, of world moving forward. But I would imagine that it would be well, kind of what it is, relatively incoherent. <laughs> and, you know, to the extent to which we can do something useful with it is, you know, yet to be proven. Because unfortunately, coherency is what gives things power. And so 
groups that have great uh, levels of coherency are capable of accomplishing a lot more than relatively incoherent groups. So I wonder to what extent the, the sort of uh, ideal of the netizen as an individually autonomous person who can make their own decisions, believe what they want to believe, and interface with everyone else in a kind of glorious, like Aquarian um, uh, social structure, Will that be able to survive the groups that are far more demanding of their subjects? You know, how do you protect yourself from something that's as uh, ideologically driven as militant Islam, right? Or, or the Chinese Communist Party? Uh, it seems that fundamentally the groups which uh, ascend to power are the ones which have a high degree of coherency. So there would have to be some sort of like defense mechanism that all these individuals would have to agree upon. And we would all have to run to each other's rescue, even though uh, we quite often would be all disagreeing with each other about everything. <laughs> you know, so, you know, how does this, how does this peer to peer reality function when it's exposed to the kinds of things that we know are out there, that, that we know that these types of social organization, I mean, never mind like, you know, the elite. So, you know, the elite have their own cohesive way. You know, some people talk about it in terms of like control files and Epstein and that whole deal, you know, that's a pretty heavy duty way of going about getting discipline within mm -hmm. a group. And, you know, as ugly as it is, it's like, those are, those are people who are going to freaking do what they're told and accomplish goals, even though it's, I mean, I, I think it's horrible and I think it's very self-destructive, but nevertheless, it's, it's a force to be reckoned with. It's like, th this thing is not going to go away, you know? <laughs> so that would be my question to anyone who really wants to try to uh, bring about, let's say this uh, Aquarian individual, uh, the individual sovereign netizen something like that i'm not sure how to how to i mean on the web great but yeah we're, we're still living in reality to some extent how does that work so it seems like you would agree that things as they get more totalitarian you know where if we're in the star wars universe the it's the current stage where the empire basically has wiped out most of the rebel alliance and it's that phase you know and then it, you know it, it ebbs and wanes the totalitarian world is worse for a larger amount of people than like if we're at the point where people are getting taken out of their house and taken to concentration camps, forced vaccinated or just killed or whatever like that, like a large amount of the population, that's really bad. And then as we lower the amount of that, that that's that, that that's that 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 that's happening, that things are getting better. Right. Would you agree with that? Less people going to concentration camps, getting killed or vaccinated against their will is good. Society is moving towards a better place. I mean, you know, there are, there are, um, okay, so it, take the Communist Party in China, right? So they locked people in, in buildings and, and they're, they're pretty freaking hardcore when it comes to controlling the population. So they've clamped down big time on people's uh, freedom of movement, 
But supposedly, and again, you know, maybe the data is skewed. Maybe we don't really know what the hell's going on there. But supposedly, they really don't have the same kind of problem with COVID there that we have here. And, you know, we can go into all the freaking rabbit holes about COVID and what have you. But one thing I heard recently that was like, okay, so people in China have basically given up a, an awful lot of freedom in, in order to function in that system. And basically what the government has said is in exchange for, for your participation, we're going to meet certain goals. So we're going to like make sure that, that we're able to accomplish this or that, you know, military type of achievement, various social programs, uh, farming, you know, all these various types of real nuts and bolts types of, uh, you know, infrastructural aspects of things. And they've delivered on a lot of that. So, you know, if you think about the kinds of sacrifices that people have made over the course of history in order to like have enough social cohesion to be able to withstand the difficulties of the times that they're living in, it's like, well, yeah, freedom is a beautiful idea, but it often doesn't end up being all that functionally effective. You know, and, and I'm really not sure the degree to which freedom has ever been truly part of a political system. It's part of a political ideology, right? But I mean, to what extent have we really been free, even in this country, which is supposedly the beacon of freedom? Look, we, when we talk about freedom, you seem to be thinking about it as an extreme. Like we've, there's there's a difference between that we're in a we're in China. And everything's totalitarian, and you know, fifteen percent of the population gets taken away randomly to go to to camps and killed or whatever. And then, or we have another situation where that's not happening. That is a move towards freedom, and so you can't say freedom moving towards freedom has historically been, you know, chaotic or it hasn't worked. I mean, that's just it's just not true. I mean, this idea of a perfect world where we have freedom, we, well, we've had not. a degree of freedom here in this country. And we have some major infrastructural problems. There's an awful lot of things that just haven't been done properly. But I'm not worried about getting, or anyone I cared about getting pulled into a concentration camp, right? I mean, I feel like you're intellectually analyzing this too much. Well, in it's a like, way you are. Like, I mean, what you've been saying no, is that- No, not me, you. <laughs> well, no, you've been saying that you are afraid of people being pulled into a concentration camp. You're afraid of people being like restricted in their movements and you're afraid of people being given a vaccine against their will, right? Yeah, because I think that's a worse world. Yeah, I mean, look, I'm I'm not saying that I like any of this stuff. I don't like it at all. You know, I don't like it one bit. But you justify it. Well, I'm saying that if you're going to understand what what ha has been happening to humanity and what's happened throughout history, then we have to have a degree of uh, detachment from from the circumstance because basically we're just reacting otherwise and saying i don't like this and it's like nature nature has never really cared about what we like and the consequences are really the things that are are most difficult to wrestle with because the consequences uh, are of, you let me just finish that statement the consequences of people being able to do whatever they want typically end in a messy situation so you, you end up having, well, people who are taking advantage of a wide range of different opportunities, you know, opportunists, right? You have people kind of 
all kinds of corruption happening. You have all kinds of philandering going on. I mean, typically when people are left to do whatever they want, right? You get the wreckage that comes along with that. And that's why traditionally societies have placed limitations on people's behavior, right? And you can argue about where those lines should be and how severe they should be, but that's just kind of the general setup, right? That's what I'm trying to figure out here. <laughs> that's what I'm trying to figure out. Okay, but, but let's start with, let's keep with the first half of this first, which is towards a totalitarian end, which we have examples of, and you've, and you, you're saying that we have examples of freedom causing problems, yet earlier you were saying that we don't know what that looks like. So we should get into that. But can you imagine any situation, or do you think even if you can't imagine, do you think it's possible that there's a situation that the world is in where you would go, oh, yeah, we probably should kidnap randomly and kill or torture 15% of the population because of these benefits, because it will solve this situation for us. Do you no, think that, I, I would, is that I would ever never say be that. something you would say, okay? No, I would never say that, but I'm not in a position of power. But you seem to be, you seem to be saying it. I'm not in a position of power. Well, I have no say over those types of things. And if I were in a position of power and I were faced with that, I'd probably like resign or I don't know what I would do. Again, I don't know what I would do. Right, because you know that it's wrong, because you know that it's wrong. I know that it's that the consequences to one's soul for doing those types of things are uh, you cannot recover from. That, that's what I believe. Right, and wrong, wrong just means if you have a goal in mind, there's a right way and a wrong way to go. So consequences to your soul seems like a pretty universal, if it's going to be bad, then it's wrong. Well, obviously, you know, there's a long tradition of uh, of thinkers who have uh, basically eliminated, you know, beyond good and evil. You've got the 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 Nazis who are carrying around copies of the Bhagavad Gita because in the Bhagavad Gita it basically says that the soul is imperishable and you shouldn't worry about killing people because you cannot destroy what is imperishable. You know, so so there's all kinds of of games that people have played to try to come to terms with that that uh dilemma and um you know again i think that that you know the history is a nightmare from which we're all attempting to awaken but that uh you know quite often we're we're spinning tails that don't have real legs and we end up repeating the same horrible cycles of history because we're uh unwilling to face up to to the real situation and the real situation is not pleasant. It's, a, it's an unfortunate set of circumstances that lead to horrible choices. And thank God we don't have to make those choices. But on some level, we do have to make a choice. And it could be a pretty freaking horrible choice. The way that things are going is not good. You know, this is not a great situation. And so we're confronting, you know, everyone. I think everyone has a sense of urgency. And it's been building over the last... You know, particularly the last couple of years, but I think that since COVID hit, now everyone is on board. Like this is an urgent situation, and some people who just haven't really thought about it much, it's like their first entry into this sense of of wow, the bottom is dropping out. What does the future hold? Those of us who have been thinking about it for a while are more well acquainted with all the various ins and outs to it. But you know, this is where the rubber meets the road. But if you if you are in power, 
And I know that you're not, but we can imagine that you were, and you can imagine how your mind would change. You know, you might know that you will be corrupted by power and all that type of stuff. Do you ever see yourself making the decision where, yes, genocide is worth it? <laughs> God, I don't, I don't know if I can answer that question. Why? You know, because honestly, I don't know. I'm not, I don't know what happens to people. And look at what happened to Alexandria uh, Cortez, right? Um, she's... She's a very idealistic woman who seemed very sincere. And yet somehow or another, they got her to vote for the CARES Act, which is the biggest upward transfer of wealth ever. And she's been basically like playing both sides of the spectrum now. And it's kind of Nancy Pelosi's little pet. You know, she seemed like a real nice, nice girl, you know, like very idealistic, smart, you know, and it only took a couple of years being in office. And she's just like another Democrat now. So what the hell would happen to me if I was, <laughs> I'm just saying that you can't separate the individual from the environment. So then people, you're saying people who get into power are going to almost certainly be corrupted and therefore will always be led by corrupt people. And yeah. you just don't, you just don't believe that it's possible for that not to be necessary. Well, I mean, there's that scene where, you know, the first king, the people, the people go to God and they're like, hey, we need a king. We're, things aren't working out so well here. And God is like, you know what? You really don't want one. And they're like, yeah, we want one. <laughs> it, it's not a good situation. Power. Look, it's differential, right? It's a power differential that happens within the same species. Now, normally that would be, you know, like in the natural world, you would have some power differential depending upon you know, size, energy, assertiveness, personality, all that kind of thing. But the kind of power of differential that exists within our species now is like, it's almost immeasurable. How, how can you, uh, the, the kind, you and I are at a very low level of power when it comes to the material world, right? The people who ha are able to exercise power in the material world can do things that are fucking unbelievable and horrifying and they can do it, and they do do it. You know, that's the world. I don't like it, but that's the world we're in. But shouldn't, <laughs> don't you see, I mean, don't you agree you're making the is-ought mistake or fallacy or whatever it's called? No, I'm not saying it ought to be this way. I'm saying it is this way. I'm not saying it ought to be yeah, this but way. It, okay, but would you, you wouldn't say it ought to be different? I would say that it would be nice if it was different. So it ought to be. Wouldn't wouldn't it be lovely if it was different? But ought, the the should implies that it's reachable. We all want things to be nicer. If your goal is for things to be nicer, then we ought not put people into concentration camps and murder them. Yeah. So when you say it ought to be this way, it means that, well, that would be a way that could be done. Okay, it is possible to not have concentration camps. Agreed? I think we've had some periods of time where there have not been concentration camps, but I honestly don't right. know the history of the world well <laughs> enough to know whether that's actually true. But my, my hope is that, yes. Well, it's technically not true. There's always people who are in situations like that. You know, even in the United States, there's trafficking. It's basically a similar thing, but it's not large-scale China harvesting people's organs because of their religion, right? There's a difference between America and China. 
Well, in the United States, we did have large numbers of Chinese who were forced to work on the railroads. I mean, they, they sort of weren't forced in a way, but but they were. And they okay, were but that's not as bad as concentration camps, right? They were, were forced to that? live they were forced to live underground. If they were caught above ground when they weren't working, it was legal to shoot them. If you go to Pendleton okay, we're here just... in Oregon, right? You I can agree go that's see... as bad. I agree. I agree. <laughs> it's basically okay, a freaking concentration bad, but, camp. <laughs> but what we're trying to what all I'm saying is that yes, at one point that was in America. We're not saying that we're saying that at right now in America, that's not a problem. And in China, it is a problem. And it's better here because that's not a problem. I mean, you could make the case that basically the wage slave is a kind of situation that some people are living in here is, yeah, it's probably better than a concentration camp, but it's it's not organ harvesting. Spectrums. Things can, organ harvesting, <laughs> wage know, slave. Yeah. These are I things know, we're moving in a better direction. Better direction that <laughs> way. <laughs> I agree. But, you know, sometimes, I mean, how do we say this? I understand that it sounds like I'm defending the CCP and their practices. You know? I'm not defending them. I'm trying to explain them. You know what I mean? Like, there's a difference between saying, hey, awesome job, CCP. You guys are like uh, an example of humanity that we should all be proud of. That's one thing. It's another thing to say, well, after the tens of millions of people who died in the communist revolution, the kinds of things that are going to happen to a society where they're going to really, really be very motivated to prevent a population from rising up and that people who are going to be less cooperative in whatever system it is that happens to get uh, instituted are going to be treated with harsh uh, methods. It's like, we don't know what it was like to live through the communist revolution. And when you look at what happened there, and you think about what happens to people psychologically who make it through that. And then you think about the paranoia of the people who are in power, who are recognizing this is a population who just a couple of generations ago completely overthrew everything. It's like, well, then it gives you an understanding of the situation. It's not a great situation, but you're describing, well, this is what the fuck happened. But I'm not trying. So I agree that looking at it as this is why things turned out that way is valuable, but that's not the question I'm asking. That's not what I'm getting at. It's yes, we understand China got into that situation, but also, and this is the part that I'm talking about, the fact that they are organ harvesting people, holding them in concentration based on the religion, society basically ignores it, is messed up and not good. And we both agree on that. Well, I think that this gets down to, you know, uh, the value of things depends upon the degree to which they're rare. Now, unfortunately, in a densely populated world, the value of human life goes down. This is a this is a a fundamental law of nature in the minds of in the minds of humanity, in the minds of humanity. And that's what we're talking about. But I wouldn't say I would say the value of hum human is not based on it, what the hum humanity thinks about them. Well, in a way it is, because that's how people get treated. You know, like you, you or I might, might you know, the, the fact of the matter is that human society behaves according to the ideas that people have in their heads. And if people 
start to see each other as just nothing but consuming nodes, which is basically what's happened in this kind of post-consumer world, then that's basically how, how a lot of people view each other. It's not a pretty picture. So I agree that the, the way the society looks at it affects what happens to that person, but there's a value of that person which exists separately from that idea and the consequences of that idea. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely. I think that every uh, every node of consciousness is sacred and and every living thing has its own divine relationship with being. And that that's the, the most important thing that, that life has to offer all of us. Okay, so we can agree it's better to move from organ harvesting to wage slave. Would we agree with that? Yeah. Okay. Now, now we've kind of got that side of the picture. Now, why do you think that it would be dangerous to move too far that way towards individual freedom? And you said that there's no examples, yet you said that there, every time it happened in history, it was bad. So I want to understand what you're talking about there. Well, I, I, what I was saying is there's no pure example of, of absolute freedom. Well, we're not talking about pure. We can't talk about pure. We can, we're can. we talking about the spectrum. So the organ harvesting versus wage slave, more freedom. That's all I'm saying, more freedom. I think that you could say that that uh, every functional society has had limits on, on uh, human behavior. And that, you know, the experiments that have happened where those, those limits have been reduced or removed are, well, I mean, look at the 1960s. You know, the, the, the 60s were uh, an era of experimentation, and there's an incredible uh, fallout from the sexual revolution, from the, the use of drugs, from uh, the confusion. I mean, you know, basically go to any festival and just watch what's going on. So you think that it could be worse back in the 60s, like there's the consequences of all this free love and free drugs and all this type of stuff, which we still live with today. What if instead they had just been said, nope, you can't do any stuff. And they start throwing people in jail for sleeping with whoever they want or, or taking drugs. And they really cracked down on that thing super, super hard, way harder than they did. And they succeeded. You, you don't think that you don't think that that would have been worse than what we have now? Or you just don't know? I don't think it would have been effective. I think that civilizations go through phases. And because of the, you know, era of affluence post-World War II, uh, the society just didn't have the will to do that. It wouldn't have been effective. There was way too much um, uh, energy in that, in that feeling of freedom. And, and there would, it would have been impossible to stop the wave. But sometimes you're saying sometimes it is... Some, you're basically implying that it's, it's in some cases it is better to stop the wave. I don't think it can be. I think that these are natural patterns that play themselves out. You know, civilizations they rise and they fall, and and social structures have the same type of you know basically like a lifespan. You know, quite often there's like a a, a burst of energy somewhere before the disintegration. And, and that's kind of what the whole, you know, party type of mode is. It's this massive burst of energy uh, expenditure. You know, it's, it's, it's lake on the Western side in the postnatal. <laughs> you know, it, it's, mm -hmm. it's detaching itself from its, from its uh, prior state. 
and and it has a great sense of of potential, but it, it's lost its root. So it it peters itself out. It blows its wad, man. So I mean, the the question was. Can control ever be justified basically because you know what the consequences of freedom will be? So impose the control. And, you, and then you, your response was, well, in that case, the 60s, it was too big of a spike. Too much energy was in that. And I would agree with you. They would maybe not have been able to stop that. But I'm not talking about just the spikes. You know, I'm talking about anything, you know, repressing freedom ahead of time because you think you know what the consequences of that freedom will be. You think sometimes that's necessary. I would say that operations operations have to be timed uh, according to the 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 phase that you're in. So there's no point in talking about what a policy would be if it's not uh, appropriate to the time. And and civilizations go through their phases. They go through their cycles. So all civilizations are going to be built from some kind of sense of structure, some 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 organization of human beings that imposes some limitations on them and allows for other things. And that over the course of time, there will be some changes, there'll be adaptations, but at a certain point, it'll no longer be a coherent system. And that's where you enter Babylon, if you like. There's a confusion of tongues. No one knows what's going on. No one understands each other. It's all like individuals scrambling around trying to figure out what the fuck to do. And that's when you have an incoherent society. And that's where basically it no longer has the capacity to even self-correct anymore. And if that doesn't describe where we're at, man, I don't know what does. <laughs> I'm sorry, it's 1225. I have to get going pretty soon. Oh, okay. Sure. I hate I hate to do that, but unfortunately, I have to go. That's okay. This has been a really interesting conversation. Is there anything else? That, <laughs> I mean, I'm sure we have another 20 conversations that came out of this one, but are there loose ends that you want to try uh -huh. to tie? No, I mean, I feel like... In order to tie that up, we would have to, I need to stop and think and be like, okay, what, how, how do I, yeah, basically it's good to take a break. Uh, I don't feel like this conversation is necessarily over. I'm not satisfied, Noah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. I think that's excellent. Okay. I look forward to the next uh, round. <laughs> do you want to tell people about like where to find what you're doing and that type of stuff? Yeah, I've got a, a podcast, uh, Assembly of Silence Radio Hour, which is on iTunes. And uh, I think there's a YouTube channel there, too. And I'm going to start posting some videos uh, on there as well, because uh, Colin has convinced me to appear in front of the camera. So it's going to happen now. So there'll be something to watch on that Assembly of Silence uh, yes. YouTube channel. I've got a Taiji Reality, T-A-I-J-I-R-E-A-L-I-T-Y another YouTube channel that focuses on a theory about the ancient trigram and Bagua system, ancient Chinese symbolic system that I think is very interesting. Uh, I do music on a channel called The Mayor of Oblivion. Did I send you the, the recent scapegoats so. video? Oh, maybe. I can't remember. <laughs> oh, okay. I'll send you a link to that. I'd be curious to know what you think about it. And uh, okay. Uh, and I also do uh, charts, uh, which you can find out about at liberationreadings.com. Charts? You mean natal charts? That's correct. Natal charts. Some people call it astrology, but I think that word is terrible. So I don't try not to use the word. <laughs> All right. And you've given me a natal chart. It's pretty darn interesting. I've had uh, readings before, and um, your perspective, uh, it makes more sense, you know, and it feels more, I don't know, approachable, less 
out there. So cool. Thank you. Anyways, yeah, I think that's and you have some videos on that on Taiji reality as well. So it's not just the Bagua on that. That's channel. true. Yep. That's right. All right, cool. Well, looking forward to next time. <laughs> yeah, me too. Thanks very much, Colin. Yep. Take care. Thanks for listening. We look forward to serving you again soon. In the meantime, remember, turn that thing over a few times before you pick it up and take it home. <laughs>